0: Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Bartram and our guest Greg Opst. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon. And hello Greg.
1: Hello there.
0: First of all I'd like to thank Wayne Setzer for being our guest um, what, two weeks ago, actually strictly speaking it was one week ago but we were recording this podcast a week before we not, before it goes out, so uh, that confuses me every week. But anyway, uh, thank you, Wayne, for being on the show and for indirectly causing many people to go hunting for beer mats to assist them in their working out of their focus plane and um, general focusing techniques and large format cameras. So uh, thank you for that, Wayne. Um, okay, so on to this week. And Andrew, have you been up to anything interesting this week?
2: Well, I've been asked, answering a few questions Facebook queries or questions following the said interview with Wayne, the, most people's confusion didn't come from their understanding or lack of understanding of the schein principle. But what on earth is a beer mat? <laughs> that would seem to be the most common. Uh, and I think uh, maybe, may, do you not have beer mats in America, Greg? I don't. Well, we have coasters. I think it's there just a nomenclature there problem. I think it is too. It's definitely. Uh, then, you know what it's like? People kept saying, well, what what's a beer mat? And I thought, well, did I just make that up, or is it actually, you know, is it just me? Is it some strange, great Yarmouth uh, saying? But you did know, Simon. You you know what a beer meant so. is.
0: I I did, and I was, I'm assuming Wayne did as well because he didn't actually mention it, but he just might have you, been polite. I guess it
2: was just too. It was just too nice, wasn't he? Yeah, really.
0: Yeah. Well, the in your in your descriptions to people about what a a beer mat is. And by the way, coaster is a, a, a word we use over here as well, but nobody ever says coaster for a for a beer mat.
2: Well, a uh, coaster can be quite See, I think a beer mat is what you need for this because a beer mat is generally made of like stiff cardboard. So I'm staring at the same beer mat as I was last week. And you know, this is much more sensible. If you want to make a hole in it, put it around your neck and take it out with you when you're working out your plane of focus. It's much more sensible because a coaster can be you know it can be made out of slate or um you know some other thick material which it doesn't inherently lend itself for portability in the field
0: this this this, this is true um and the other <laughs> the other um thing of note uh was uh you were you were saying now your beer mats are round um mm. whereas beer mats up here tend to be uh square but with rounded edges
2: yeah, well, you can get beer mats square with rounded edges. This one is—I um, think this one is a German one. You see, so maybe German one's are round.
0: Well, could could well be. So we'll I'm, never know. I'm 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 glad we've uh, helped to clear that one up. Um, so, we do uh, talk
2: some nonsense, don't we? <laughs> where you do. So what, what have I, I've i I've been mainly doing non-photographic things this week, but I did, I did finally get out on Friday evening. Was it Friday evening? I think so. With my Toyo Forty Five A and a double dark slide loaded with fp4 and i i legged it the sun was just was about an inch above the horizon just so you can visualize that and it was poking in and out of bits of cloud and i and i drove down to the the location which i was going to shoot for our double exposure tag team challenge which was being run by the negative positives podcast and um uh, I stood. I, I quickly, I quickly unloaded the toy and this is, uh, and I was impressed at how quickly I set it up. And this is familiarity, I think. So you get familiar with your gear, and you can shoot really quickly. Because I had that from parking the car. Uh, I probably had that shot done within mm, ninety seconds. That's impressive, including focusing. And I even, I even looked at my film plane, the film plane, the focus plane, and I kind of estimated where the uh, where the front tilt needed to be, and I wasn't a million miles off, and I didn't have my beer mat with me. And I got bitten by by gnats. We call them gnats. You call them mosquitoes, Wayne. Wayne, yeah, have I call- sent you to sleep? Huh? Oh, I called you Wayne as well. Yes, You're not you Wayne, are you? Exactly. That's this you didn't answer me. No, we were just talking uh,
1: about we, we We do have gnats. Um, they're, um, some people call them noceums, um depending on where you are. And, uh, but mosquitoes are much larger, larger, um, uh, capacity for sucking the blood.
2: Yeah. This must've been mosquitoes because I felt weak after they'd attacked me. There you go. I think I must've lost an armful of blood.
0: Well, I think, I think the fact that you managed to get it set up and, and, and took that shot off as quickly as you did, is probably as much to do with muscle memory though, isn't it? Because it's not the first time you've taken that photograph. <laughs> Yeah, have you entered into the
2: negative positives double exposure tag team challenge, Greg?
1: No, actually, um, the only double exposure I've ever made was on pinhole, and that was um, that was quite by accident. Came out nice, but quite by accident.
2: When's the uh, when's the deadline for this debacle that we're trying to put
0: together? I,
1: I thought it was long past. I, I, no. At least for the um, the non podcasters,
0: I, th- I think that's it. I think we're um, we we're used we're using the our status as podcast superstars uh, to um, <laughs> to uh, get a get a get a a delay on it. I don't think they're actually they're judging them yet. Anyway, are they? So um, and they're doing the podcast challenges is is happening. At, at least another week after the uh, the main one, anyway. So uh, we've we've got a little bit more leeway than uh, than the main event as well.
1: What's interesting to me is is when did Toyo make a thirty five millimeter camera? Because the the rules clearly ah, state yeah. thirty five millimeter black
2: and white.
0: Mm, yes. <laughs>
2: well, we we did we did have a cunning plan for that, Greg. Would you like to hear what our cunning plan was? For it? Sure so i um I, I took a, a spent HP5 roll, and in the dark, I got some fo- 35 millimeter FOMA, no Rolly retro 400s, and in the dark I, uh, I, I I fumbled around with this length of Rolly and stuck it on the inside of the backing paper, desperately hoping, but not really knowing how that, that I would keep it parallel so it didn't sort of go at an angle. And then I rolled it all up and put it in my six by 17 film back. So we, the plan was to have us to have a 17 centimeter long 35 millimeter sprocket panoramic shot in a large format camera.
1: That would but, certainly be interesting,
2: but, um, it didn't, didn't come off. So I think due, mm. due to, um, due to logistics and time and we have Greg, we're having enough trouble, uh, Getting a double exposure done on four by five sheet film, let alone Very s- true. seventeen centimeter.
1: But the we judge, thought we were. The we judges were to- will accept that answer.
2: Okay, we were trying to be really clever, <laughs> and he is this is the large format photography podcast? After all,
0: I, that's that, and that, and that is it. Yeah, we we were challenged uh, as a podcast to do it. And yeah, you know, we're contractually obliged not to shoot 35 millimeter or small format. Um, so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was agreed that we, we we could do. I say agreed. We just decided we were going to do it. Um, but we uh, we have chatted to um, Mike and Andre, and uh, it's a it's a case of it was restricted to 35 uh, millimeter for the main competition. Uh, Simply for logistics, and uh, it just it just makes matching people much more much easier. Um, yeah, you because know, so quite a number of people are actually taking part in this, and uh, mixing and matching different film formats and so on, it, it's just become too difficult to do it. Uh, whereas uh, doing it with the uh, the podcast hosts, uh, where, wherever they may be, uh, it's just a, it's just an easier thing to manage. So uh, hence hence we we're allowed to get away with that one. Well, I say that. Um, I mean, I'm just about to take my third attempt at actually taking a shot because uh, the uh, Mm -hmm. film holders uh, just just arrived today. And so I'm going to, for the third time, I'll be able to go there and maybe I can do it in 90 seconds as well and take that shot again on both sides. And I've I've got to say something you said earlier, Andrew, you you mentioned that you took your double dark slide out. Mm. Now, in my mind... And this is a conversation I've had with uh, Nick Lyle of the Homemade Camera Podcast. A dark slide is that bit that goes into a film holder. So I think All you right. took a double film holder out rather than a double dark slide. Yeah, out. yeah you're probably right. But
2: you know what I meant, didn't you?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that's that's right. Yeah, But now whenever somebody actually says that now, it it's, goes back it's to this. Probably
2: course, a, it's probably a double dark slide cut film sheet film holder or something. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I've always accepted that as sort of a Britishism, just like five by four instead of four by five.
2: Well, I tend to say four by five. I think it's because I spend too much time talking to Americans. Yeah,
0: and I I say I say four by five, but I say ten by eight for some reason. I don't really. No, I say I say
2: eight by ten as well. No. Uh,
0: Yeah. Sold out. I have. I've
2: gone all American. Yeah. Okay. So. What what have you been doing then?
0: I was going Anything to say, you're not, you're, not, you're not going to talk Anything about painting your shed then?
2: Well, if you want. No, in, no, fact, not. in fact, it was Julie's shed. Ju- <laughs> Julie's shed I painted.
0: <laughs> well, let's. Uh, I, I do have something uh, to to say this week, because I've actually taken some photographs um, with my uh, – which camera? Use the sign on. And because we've got our uh, darkroom club set up, that's the Six Towns uh, Darkroom in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, which is going from strength to strength. We, to, uh, we should get. We should put that in the show
2: notes because you mention it every every two weeks.
0: So- That's it. We haven't really got a proper link for it yet, or if we have, but it, it's not it's not quite saying the things we needed to say um, but if anybody's ever interested in that uh, just just get in touch with me and uh, we can talk about that uh, we can't do much in the way of, of uh, large format because we don't have a large format I think I'm going to say this every week uh, we don't have a large format in larger um. you said that in such a sad voice <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but, uh, but you fact... can do contact sheets you can have contact sheets contact prints can't you and yeah, not... yeah yeah no we, we, we can and uh, and I was I did ha- actually have my large format camera in use this week because as part of my emulsive secret santa 18 present uh, i was given and i forgot the name of the chap that uh, gave it to me now um, I'm not sure if he actually ever told me actually um but uh, i was paired up with somebody in uh I think it was Czech Republic. Yeah, it was Czech Republic. And I was given quite a bit of FOMA pan as you might, as you might half expect. Um, but also um, he gave me some um, mystery four by five film. And I'd, I'd, I'd said that I'm, I was potentially getting into four by five and and uh, I'm quite pleased I did now. And uh, and he sent me some slow four by five film, which he didn't actually know what it was. And it's also a film that he cut down himself uh, to four by five. And it's and uh, so you're missing the notch codes. Yeah, no, no notch codes, nothing. And uh-huh. so, which also suggests that it might not have been cut down from eight by ten, because I'd imagine you know, for every four, you would get one with a notch in wouldn't you that would make a certain amount Mm -hmm. of sense Uh, but no no notches at all and um, I'm not entirely sure if there's emulsion on both sides I don't know if it's x-ray film Um, really know very little about about this film although I think it might be orthochromatic um, not hundred percent sure about that. Need to check that, but I get a feeling it might be. Um, but I decided sounds like, to. Sounds
2: like it could be X ray film. I mean, the eight, 8 ten X ray film doesn't have any film notches did, in.
1: Did you sacrifice a, a sheet to see what color it was? Uh,
0: yes, although what, what color was it? Now I've actually it, Do you mean when he
2: developed it? No, uh, no, be, no uh,
1: just prior just, some of the some of the X ray films that were. Um, uh, that you'll find out there are, have really uh, weird blue green like almost uh, circus colors um, when you when you uh, pull one out of the box and just uh, as a sacrificial sheet just to see kind of determine whether or not you know there's a notch code and whether or not there's emulsion or either side looks different than the other mm-hmm. um, to try to make a determination I I bought uh, three 100 sheet boxes of five by seven that's like that and it's this bl- this blue just a bizarre blue, um, almost aqua, but not quite. And to this day, I still don't know if it's double-sided or, or, uh, or single-sided. And I I did run one sheet through and trade trade development in, um, Pyrocat, um, uh, one-to-one to 300, just a really weak dilution. And it came out beautiful. So I think I guessed the right one. And I made a little mark on the box as to but
2: which side certainly so, so i've I've never i've never pulled a sheet of my fuji hrt x-ray film out of the box to look at it never it never occurred to me because i kind of oh, well i knew what it was but certainly after it's developed and fixed there is a very definite blue tinge to the to the base of the film it, it's mm-hmm. not something that washes away not like a you know not like an anti-halation layer would do in a traditional film so it's it's the at first, I thought I needed more fixing, but I didn't. I, I fixed and fixed and fixed it, and it does have a blue, uh, a slight blue color to the uh, to the base, the substrate or the acetate. Do, what's your film look like? Does it have any tinge to it? Simon? Yeah, oh,
0: def- definitely. Although it's, um, it's, I would, I would say it's a sepia. Yeah, it's quite mm-hmm. a strong sepia. I yeah. would say. Okay. And
2: I saw some shots you'd posted somewhere uh online. Yeah, where you, you were trying to determine the film speed. That that's it. And it looked quite contrasty. There was some shadow detail. There was well, certainly on the one I looked at. So maybe you got the exposure right, but just need to use a I think it sounds looks like you either need to use a pyro or try your kathanol developer if you want to try and retain those highlights.
0: And 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 that's that's exactly it. Um I mean I've I've had a go at digitising, but I've not done a full a full negative. I've been sort of concentrating on the centre part of the image because each photograph, or the majority of the photographs, I I, I placed a piece of paper um, right in the centre with the um, exposure uh, rating, and oh, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think oh, that's a good idea. This is pretty foolproof, um, except that my highlights are blown uh, in every shot including up to 12 ISO, um, but the, the shadow the shadow informi- yeah, detail, in fact, the overall look of the photographs is gorgeous. I'm really, really pleased with, them, any, with, with the look of it. Is there shadow
2: detail in the negative at all and you're just l- you're losing it in the scan or have you examined it on the light box?
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's just not there. And the way I'm digitising, I'm doing it. Sorry, like,
2: not shadow detail, um, uh, like. Ha-
0: yeah, the, 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 I'm I'm digitising with a digital camera. I'm not using the scanner. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, the, the 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 amount of detail I'm 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 you like using a 90mm macro lens as well. Um, so I'm I'm only taking a photograph of a very small proportion of the shot and and using my Sony. Uh, full frame uh camera it usually captures highlight- as long as I'm shooting uncompressed it it captures uh detail in the in in the highlights very very well it just isn't there and the guess and you you can i'd try to look in the negative as well and it's just black mm. um, but as you just said though uh pyro or uh caffeinol cl and and that and that is definitely something i want i want to try with this because i just stand developed it in Rodenel, uh, or semi stand, uh, because you know doing different uh, different speeds, it just made sense to actually do uh, mm-hmm. do yep. do its stand processing. Yep, yeah, it would be
1: interesting too to to take a look at um, some tests where you're shooting something that has some predominant areas of red versus uh, blue yeah. to um, to see whether or not it's orthochromatic.
0: Yeah, and and that was that was actually something I, I did actually try. Uh, to because I've got actually in the, the dark room there we've got red light uh, we've got, so we've got the safe light and I, I put a piece out uh, for about a minute and covered it um, I didn't have a coin I just used a cup in the end um, and uh, with to, you know to see if it would actually show any difference where the cup was and where the cup wasn't um, and I completely messed that up because one I put two sheets out instead of one and uh, second, although that shouldn't make that much of a difference, because so, you, sh- you should see it on one of the fa- one of the uh, negatives. But mm-hmm. uh, to develop it, I didn't have space in my uh, tank, so I just literally just dropped the film into the tank, and I think it just stuck to the side, so I so I, it, it was just a mess. So I've, I've, I'm, no, I'm none the wiser on on, on that. Uh. But it, it the, but the overall look of the, of the images is is not. It's just that the 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 black and white look of the images is just different from what I would normally see. So I'm just thinking there's something else going on here, um, which makes me sort of suspect it might be uh, orthochromatic, or some kind of copy film
2: or something, or some oh yeah. um, reproduction type film. I, th- I think like so. A, yeah. Okay. Well, that's very exciting. You have had a far more exciting week than me. Greg, have you been doing anything exciting this week?
1: Yeah, the last um the last week or so I've been um discovering. Um normally the way I, I work is I do I research an area to death before I even consider going out. And then I come up with a list of things that I want to accomplish out in that area and GPS locations and what have you. Well, what I've done is gone to the next county over um, to the west of us and just sort of I know very little about that county except for their their county seat and um, just went out on some drives and discovered things and shot um, a series of different cameras, um, discovered a ton of abandoned falling down barns, uh, beautiful um, farms with silos. Um, It's also coal. Uh, mining region or, uh, for the most part, a, a strip coal mining region. Uh, so you have a lot of the, um, large industrial things you have, uh, coal breakers up there. You have all sorts of, um, sort of a, a mix of agriculture and industrial landscapes. And so I've been shooting everything from, um, the, t- the infamous 2238 film on 35 millimeter all the way up to, um, eight by 10, um, on, um, on the Kodak uh, or the Carestream uh, Ectoscan, the single-sided um, X-ray film. Oh yeah, just trying to get a, a feel for the area. And, and um, the way I work generally is I don't, I don't take pictures of things. I take pictures of how I feel about things. So um, this is an area that uh, I'm going into pretty much fresh. Um, I have no preconceived notions of what this. Particular part of that county looked like, or what it contained, and uh, as I venture around, um, you know, I'm discovering things, and and I'm seeing parts of farms that have just been abandoned, um, and that always makes me, you know, is, is certainly a sadness there, but it always makes me wonder how. I mean, that's that's um, that's usable land, and, and in some cases, they're still being farmed. Somebody's running the the farm itself, but the uh, all the outbuildings, the barns, the farmhouses are either gone or in a various states of disrepair. Um, they still make great subjects, um, and it always makes me wonder—you know—what really happened there? Did somebody just uh, uh, grow old and and uh, and die, and and nobody wanted to take over the farm, or was it a financial thing? You know, um, and I think all of these things sort of lead into. Um, sort of an authenticity in the photos because there is something that affected people's lives there. It's not just, um, you know, some model that you dragged out into the, into the countryside to, to take a picture of it's it's um, it's real life uh, and real life isn't always so pretty. And so I've been going around and um, I've two of the days I was up there, I was pouring, pouring rain um, sideways rain. And and uh, it's a very hilly area um, at one point, I had done a, a face cast on uh, the Negative Positives fo- uh, um, podcast uh, Facebook group of a um, an overlook that I discovered up there. And sure enough, the next time I went up and I stopped at the overlook, there was a lightning storm going on. Um, I didn't get out of the car because it didn't look like it was very safe. Quite frankly, but um, it's been a very interesting area to to sort of discover, and I and I can't wait to uh, really drill down into some of the history of those areas and uh, revisit it over and over again.
2: Well, it sounds like you've had a well a, a better a you've squeezed more into your week than I think I've done all year by the sounds of it. So that's fantastic. We'll we'll um we'll we'll talk about uh, you touched on a lot of areas there there, Greg, and I think we'll. We'll perhaps dive into those uh, uh, shortly. But do you think, Simon, we ought to just um, having this preamble? Um, we we can perhaps formally introduce Greg now. Should we do that? I that think a that's idea? a very good idea. Yeah. Do you want me to do that? Yeah. You go ahead. <laughs> well, if you hadn't already realized, we're we're very pleased to welcome Greg Opst. Have I said that right? Obst? That's Correct. Excellent. Uh, Greg Opst to the show. Greg. Um, was fighting with Wayne last week to come on the show. And and in fact, one or two other people as we were desperately searching around to get at least somebody on our list to come and talk to us. Uh, So having, uh, having, having let him down last week, he's, uh, he's agreed to, agreed to come on this week. And it's, uh, I've been enjoying the preamble. I've been enjoying the the chit chat for what we did. And before we started recording, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun hour or so, or whatever, whatever time we've, we've got left. Uh, you're very active, Greg, on many of the Facebook groups with negative positives. You're a contributor with our Lensless podcast Facebook group and within the large format Facebook group. So most most folks will be familiar with you. you your uh, uh your work is 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 varied in a way from the type of cameras you use, different mediums you use. You you seem to get involved in lots of different formats and uh, different films and yeah, I think we're going to have a great time talking to you. But why not just um, give us the potted great Greg Obst history and uh, in the normal way that we would do when we have guests on?
1: Sure. Um, I came to photography a little late uh, in in the game. Uh, generally, it was around uh, I think 1997. I had just bought a new compact car, and I was looking for an excuse to go on a long trip, basically. And um I looked around and didn't really find anything. And I I noticed at one of the convenience stores um a paper that was showing the local racing. And we have a lot of auto racing that goes on in our area. And it showed different events. So I, I decided to go to um a place in New Jersey, uh, a place called Bridgeport Speedway that was running a, a late in the season event. I think it was October. And um, I went there and and that sort of got me hooked. And then I went to another much smaller speedway up in the Pocono uh, mountains area of, of, Pennsylvania. And, um, they had just started that speedway up and they didn't have a photographer there. And I was talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, if you have a camera, um, you can come up here and take pictures. I didn't have a camera. Um, this is certainly during the, the, the highlight of film, um, digital was just starting to to get into the stores. I hadn't really taken a, a clear foothold. Um, so when I went looking for a camera, I ended up getting uh, a Canon T50, which was an all automatic FD mount camera. Um, of course, the FD mount lenses are very good, but the, the camera itself was sort of bare bones and, and very basic. Um, and so I got hooked and started doing racing photography. And I did that um, initially with film and then film, um, was getting very expensive. Um, even with the, uh, the one hour turnaround, uh, the cheaper prices at some of the, the drug stores locally, it was still pretty expensive. So, um, I investigated digital, fell into digital for, uh, 12 years as a racing photographer, got really good at racing photography. Um, generally regarded as one of the, the better, um, photographers in specific areas of, of auto racings, uh, specifically sprint cars and midgets. And, um, and then got tired of it. Um, and so <clears throat> I was looking for something a little bit different and I went to, um, wildlife photography and I started, um, getting really good at photographing bald eagles at a, a location that's right on the border between Pennsylvania and Maryland, uh, Conowingo dam. And uh I really enjoyed that. But to really um excel at that game is an arms race and its focal length. And I was shooting with a um a very sort of underpowered fifty uh Sigma, what they call the Bigma, which is the fifty to um five hundred um zoom lens. I think it's F six point three, and I was just I was losing that that battle. I desperately needed something like a 600 or an 800 and I wasn't in a position to afford that. So I started, um, turning my, my attention to, um, landscape photography. And unfortunately I picked up the bug for HDR and, um, initially it was, it was the, um, you know, the over the, over the, the, the moon sort of, um, you know, uh, something like the surface of Venus, kind of HDR, uh, which I'm certainly not proud of. So I made a concerted effort to get more realistic about my processing and I got pretty good at that. And then um, unfortunately I came down with um, some kidney problems and I had been a type one diabetic since um, literally my 21st birthday, that's when I was diagnosed and it had started killing my, my kidneys and I, I didn't think I really had that much time left um, I was on the transplant list and I wanted to do something that was much more, um, meaningful with the time that I had left. And I started thinking about film photography and really learning, uh, photography as opposed to using all these different settings that are available in digital. And, um, lo and behold on, uh, um, April 16th of 2012, I, um, for the grace of God, got a, a transplant for a kidney and a pancreas, which essentially uh, rolled back my type 1 diabetes and my kidney problems. Um, and so I was basically left with, well, what do you do now? You're, you're given a life that you didn't really think you were going to have. Um, now it's the time to clean slate. You really need to think about your photography. And I had always really held, um, sort of the Ansel Adams, um, look and feel as sort of, um, the pinnacle. Um, obviously there's no automation. There were no, you know, internal meters. There's no settings as it were. Uh, and I felt if I, if I really wanted to learn photography at a basic level and be proud of my work, then I needed to sort of get into that world so I started off how most people do in film photography. I went looking on um, uh, Craigslist, which is sort of our our uh, local service in the United States where people put things for sale locally. And I found a Minolta SRT-201, um, which is in pretty good condition, 35 millimeter. And I shot with that for one or two rolls, and then the gas started. <laughs> and so a spotmatic f was next and then um a whole litany of m42 lenses and then you know helios lenses for that and um and then my first um medium format which was a um one of those awful lubitel 166bs nothing
2: wrong with that uh, sorry, I, I was enjoying <laughs> listening to you, but I have to. I have to jump in and defend the Lubital. In fact, I've got the Lubital two, which is uh, okay. It's a, it's a nice simple triplet lens, and and you can't mm-hmm. focus it. It's All the a, lenses are wonderful. Yeah, if you so you just need to be skillful in in the use of it. Anyway, so yeah. sorry, sorry, Greg, you you carry on.
1: Um, zone focusing is your friend there.
2: <laughs> it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and so, um, a, a steady progression of uh, through medium format and buying anything that looked old and in all the local antique places, like a lot of people do. And I saw on eBay one day um, a Calumet CC401, which is the long rail 26 inch uh, monorail. And these are the ones that um, were student cameras in a lot of universities. And of course, when digital started to take a foothold, they dumped a lot of that stuff. So I I was able to get one of those very quickly um, and very cheaply and and then started collecting lenses for that. And then trying to haul that thing out into the field was just a pain in the ass. It's large, clunky, and especially with the longer rail, how do you carry that? There's no there's no bag. So I I would actually go to Home Depot. Um, do you have Home Depots in, in the UK?
2: No, but we know what you mean. It's like a big box hardware yeah. store. Yeah.
1: And uh, I was able to get a soft-sided uh, rolling uh, toolbox and turn the camera upside down and put it across the opening, and, yeah. and that sufficed, gave me room for uh, 4x5 film holders and lenses and kind of went that route for a couple of months and then um, decided I needed a better monorail so I got a another 4x5 a County Met 45NX um which was able to be broken down into much smaller pieces um still had a huge box that it came in
2: why and, why were you why were you persisting down the monorail line at this point Cle- clearly somebody who wanted you know you had a desire to go out into the world with this camera yes presumably not just from the back of your car like I do um so what why why persist with the monorails
1: i was really interested in in architecture okay um not so much internal architecture because that's more you know a a professional level kind of thing but just uh, making sure that i had all the movements that i could possibly want to keep everything straight vertical horizontal everything in focus all the good things that a monorail will will give you um but i needed that portability so i started looking again and um, so the first thing I found was a uh, Bush Pressman Model D. which Oh, is just,
2: that's the one it? that um, uh, 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 cameradactyl Matt Ethan was going mm-hmm. on about, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they're wonderful little cameras. I, they fold up to probably the smallest footprint that I've seen in any 4x5. Hmm. Um, you could put them in a little messenger bag, which is great with uh, four oh, wow. or five holders and two lenses and a, and a dark cloth. And, um, the only problem with, with those particular cameras is the opening, the lens board is so small. So anything, uh, over like a Copa one, you're, you're pretty much, um, excluded from using. So, uh, the smaller lenses were, um, were great with that camera. And I took a lot of photos with that camera Mm -hmm. and then I decided, okay, well, it's time to really get serious. And 2014, I decided to do, um, a four by five for 365 project. Um, and so I didn't really logistically think I could handle developing every day, shooting every day and and developing every day. So I, I made a rule for myself that I was going to have a post one a day, uh, for 365 days, but that I would do most of my shooting on the weekends, um, and then develop in batches. And so essentially I was shooting for the next week Mm -hmm. during each week and that worked out really well. And I finished that, um, I had tried a, a digital uh, 365 project prior and only got to I, I think day 56. So, it's pretty proud and I what when you really push yourself to shoot and have enough good shots for every day and you have a lot of really bad winter weather too, you get pretty good. You get to the point where you know what shots not to take, you you start to understand your limitations, whether they be within your own skill set or, or within the gear that you have and you work very hard to overcome those limitations.
2: Sorry, Greg. So I've got your, for folks listening, if you want to look at some of Greg's pictures for his 365 project, um, you you have an album called four by five for 365 project 2014. Yep. And it, so each of these pictures we're looking at here will, is you shared one of these a day. Is that, is that that's right? correct? Just,
0: um, just, to, just to clarify, we're talking about Flickr now, aren't we? That's yes.
2: did I, What did I say? You didn't. <laughs> didn't I? Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about Flickr. So if you go to if you type in Greg G-R-E-D-G-G double G and then O B S T or one word, you'll find Greg on his Flickr site. So we'll be we'll be referring to his Flickr site. So you've got a very eclectic and, you know, you've got, you've done everything from shooting pictures of books to still life Polaroid. You, you've really tried all sorts, haven't you?
1: There was a steady progression because I did start um, to start posting on January 1st and the weather can be really hard around here.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so you'll see a progression where we don't have any leaves on the trees. Yeah. Um, and you'll There's see a progression through
2: stuff. So you, you, you honed your still life
1: a lot of indoor stuff, um, a lot of x-ray film initially, and you'll see, um, the progression from not knowing how to develop x-ray film all the way to actually getting a range of contrast, um, eventually, um, and, uh, starting to move outside, uh, starting to get a, a more varied, um, uh, variety of, of, uh, subjects. You'll also see a lot of, once I do move outside for, for more of the, um, the the shots you'll see a lot of agriculture a lot of barns um, a lot of battlefields um, there's a lot of historical stuff around us and i've really sort of gravitated to the towards those things
2: including a stitched together panorama using x-ray film yes so you've got five large format four by five x-ray film negatives to form a panoramic, sweeping view of a bend in the crypt row section of Laurel Hill Cemetery, Philadelphia. Wow. Yes,
1: that's that's <laughs> our uh, big uh, Victorian style cemetery. I think it's the the
2: second oldest one in the country. You don't do things by half, do you? No.
0: Could we could we just touch upon? Because you've you've mentioned X ray film, and I'm on that album now, and I'm 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 looking at the the the, the images, and I'm thinking. Uh, these these don't look radically different from other types of photographs. And I was sort of expecting it because it, it's it's not it, you know, it's, it's an odd film to use. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you could explain what the 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 benefits are of X-ray film.
1: Initially, I started with um, the Fuji HRT thirty, uh, which I think uh, um, Andrew, you're working on a ver- variety of that or a variant
2: yeah i don't think it's thirty it's h r t mm i don't know anyway i think it's third.
1: i think it's just a rebranded version of that same one so, but
2: yeah. same as h r it was h r t and then HRU. HRU. You, yep. yeah yeah
1: um Initially, I chose that because it was cheap. It was $27, I think, for a 100-sheet yeah,
2: that, box. That's my reason for having two yeah. boxes of 100 sheets in the fridge. lot
0: <laughs> <I> like that <laughs> reason, too. <laughs>
2: yeah. And,
1: I mean, you could you could shoot a million sheets of that and then go through all sorts of variations in your development just trying to to do a somewhat less-than-scientific um, honing down of, of what you should be using as far as, like, how you rate it. Um, one of the interesting things about uh, X-ray film that isn't very apparent is it responds differently to different contrast light and different subjects. So it's not just a matter of shooting something that's um, you know red and that's going to get darker. It's also you know is it a very contrasty light out? Is it a is it a golden hour light? And your exposure and what you rate it at as far as your I.E. Uh, setting can vary know 20 to 440 iso uh setting points based upon the the quality of the light or the the type is, of the light
2: yeah is it the amount is it is it therefore li- like with the direct harm and direct positive paper certainly the same thing applies there because it's depending on the amount of uv light there is around exactly it's the day.
1: it's the wavelength of the light mm-hmm. that you're experiencing
2: yeah you and see so- i i i i need to i'm go- we're going to probe you a bit more so to speak on x-ray film because i'm i'm still in a learning despite having two boxes of this stuff in my fridge uh, i i've just largely been shooting it in the pinhole camera um i i've 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 tamed the contrast control well enough um but i'm i've been using it for a bit of contact printing a bit of alternative processing but i've just started putting it in a four by five camera, cutting it down in the darkroom, but I do need to play a bit more now. So, so, so car- carry on Greg, cause this is, this is fascinating because I'm only using the double sided stuff. So you you talk mm-hmm. about how you, so your progression from the, from the, uh, the Fuji stuff. then and, and, Yeah.
1: So I, um, there's a, there's a thread on the large format photography. Um, I think it's large format photography.info forum. This is the one that Matt was talking about, full of curmudgeonly old men. Mm -hmm. Um, And (laughs) yeah, that's definitely the the best way to describe that place. But they're also extremely knowledgeable curmudgeonly um, old men. And so somebody, um, I want to say by now, it's probably about six years ago, stumbled on um, that HRT-30 Uh, and then various... um, I think there may have been an Agva uh, variant of it Um, and things of that nature. It's basically a a blue-based or a green-based X-ray film. And they were all comparing notes. And that went on and on and on. And there's a thread out there that I'm sure is several thousand pages by now. Um, And anybody who's really gone through X-ray film to sort of learn all the nuances has probably seen that thread. And uh, you could spend months just reading that and then... Um, you start to develop, uh, a, um, a feel for who really has nailed down their settings and they're, um, sort of the, the best note takers are the ones that you're looking for. And so when they discover something, generally it would be a breakthrough for everybody because it was very much, a um, you know, a rising, uh, tide floats all boats kind of mentality. Everybody was, uh, willing to share knowledge and, and, uh, everybody sort of benefited from that. And the one thing I saw on there one day was this, this single sided um, emulsion. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's certainly going to take care of the problems where you're either going to be doing rotary in a tank, uh, or if you're using um, bottom, uh, uh, rough bottom sort of uh, development trays, uh, if you're doing tray development and so I, I looked at it and y- y- it's quite a bit more expensive. It's it's about right now I think it's probably about 95 cents a sheet. Um, so you're not saving that much, but you're still saving, you know, 30 or 40 cents a sheet over the cheapest FOMA um for an eight by ten sheet. And at that point I was still cutting that down to four by five for for my own uses. I hadn't gone into eight by ten or five by seven at that point. So I started looking at that, and um, I started taking that out into a lot of, I guess the commonality was there's a lot of stone subjects, so a lot of um, cemeteries. There's some pretty good Victorian cemeteries with lots of um, stone art and, and that kind of thing. And I had some really, really good um, success with some of that, um, that single-sided uh, CareStream Ectoscan BRA, it's called
2: just i think um i think i've seen you mention this film probably when i was asking about it i'm sure somebody right. told me about the care stream uh, film and i and i looked at it and it was hard for us to get in the uk i think it yeah. was readily available in in america and then we get hit by postage and import mm-hmm. duties mean, even with the fuji stuff i get hit with import and, uh, and uh, import duties and postage but mm-hmm. even even with those it's still pretty darn cheap you know the food yeah.
1: James Darren uh, actually asked me to to uh send him some of that stuff in in re- in exchange for some some uh pinhole stuff um but it it um it just that the the shipping to get it over there was yeah. pretty prohibitive
2: the shipping seems to be when i've sent stuff to the states it's it's not been too bad from the uk but a similar size thing coming from America to here seems to be much more. And I've never really worked that out. Yeah. So this is, so the X-ray, the single sided X-ray for folks listening is care, stream. That's the make, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Um, There's
1: several brands, but that
2: seems what, to be the one that's available the most. And which is the, is there like a reference number or, or make or, you know, um, okay.
1: No, it's just, it's just care stream, um, Ektascan with a E-K-T-A-S-C-A-N. And then a, a B, and I always forget this, if it's a slash R A or a B R slash A, but that's sort of the designator for it. Okay, It's a radiographic film. So it's X-ray, but they, they use it with, um, uh, for instance, like, um, uh, mammography machines and things of that sort of nature that, um, they're, they're taking pictures of not just the body, but, but uh, of screens.
2: Okay. And is that? Um, I, I think eventually this X-ray film presumably is going to just fade away. Is it once? Yeah, being yeah, replaced by digital technology. That,
1: that is the fear. Um, mm. Currently, I buy mine through um, a company. I, f- I forget where. They're, I think they're somewhere in the Midwest called ZZ Medical, and they have a, a website at zzmedical.com. And um, I've heard horror stories about people trying to um, buy. Uh, X-ray film from other places, other uh, medical uh, warehouses and being denied because they're not, you you know, have an affiliation with the doctor's office or whatever. They've Mm -hmm. never asked anything Uh, and they've been great to deal with and they always have this stuff in stock. So, um, you know, I've dealt with them, but, but yeah, you see the prices go up and I've, in the last two years, Mm -hmm. they've jumped probably uh, 15 to 20, sometimes $25 a box. Uh, for a 100 sheet box, so it gets me a little bit worried, and and obviously the cut over to digital X-ray is going to um, hasten all that uh, from from staying in the marketplace. Uh, and now Matt had said something years ago that X-ray film doesn't have the same shelf life. Um, now I f- haven't heard that from any place else. I've been trying to find some some source for that um to back that up. Um but that also has me worried um because obviously you can freeze it. Um but you know what else is affecting this stuff that wouldn't affect a, a general, you know, panchromatic film.
2: Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I never considered that. I've got I haven't frozen mine. I've got two boxes. I I bought a box of 10 by 12 by mistake thinking it was eight by ten. And then I've got a box of eight by ten um so this is going to last me forever because i'm using it in mainly 8x10 pinhole i've cut it down to 4x5 but it's i'm not sure whether i want to persist with cutting it down uh, i'll probably just stick with using fp4 <laughs> yeah uh, cuz so apart from cost what are the what what would you say uh, are the are the benefits is it uh, is it it's sensitivity because i mean that the the fuji stuff is orthochromatic so that has a high mm-hmm. red sensitivity
1: yeah, a lot of the stuff that I that I generally shoot, um, things that are rusted or gritty or um, the I, I generally tend to gravitate towards historical architecture. So um, that sort of thing ends up at least on the ectic scan B R A really nice looking, um, a, a great tonality, but a tonality that reminds you, I guess, a little bit like um, like Foma in that the general look is, uh, like a 1970s triax. Um, so you get that sort of gritty, uh, you get the, the, um, good shadow quality, but a darker shadow quality. Um, and I found that, uh, you really don't want to, uh, process this any other way, but sort of either, either rotary for, in my case, I was using, um, rod all with, um, one to, one to 100, I also played around with one to 200 for about six or six and a half minutes in, in a Jobo rotary tank. Um, or you want to do some sort of stand development. And mm-hmm. um, w- with the orthochromatic, you can do stand development and use the uh, use a red light, a very weak um, seven water or less red light and, and do a um, development by inspection.
2: So I was looking. I pulled while you were talking, Greg. I pill, I pulled up a, a shot that caught my eye, which was of a a bordered straight-on view of a of a house with some surrounded by trees, a little bit of sky. Yeah. Uh, this is number one five nine in your project. Uh, this is one of the several houses left in Walpack Center, New Jersey, and you were using the Bush Pressman Model D. Yep. And here you said you there yeah, so kodak ectctor b r slash a single sided x ray film you give some exposure details and you say it's semi stand development in Rodanol or the ADOX variant mm-hmm. one one to one hundred for fifteen yeah, yeah. minutes that doesn't sound very long for a stand normally stand development is people don't people do that for about an hour or something
1: yep yep this is this is that that uh progression of trying to figure out what i was actually doing okay yeah so oh, uh, and this
2: was in the mod so this is in a mod 54 so you had the, yeah. the mod 54 insert in a patterson tank so you weren't doing this by inspection or, or did, no, you, pull, did no. you pull it out no
1: no 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 but you you yeah, clearly no. got
2: you've got something here you've got some okay you're in the very i don't know how you were how you were um, metering this but you know you've got some very Dense shadows, but you know, you—it's it, perfectly acceptable, isn't it? It's a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a nice image. Yeah,
1: you... I, I should I should mention I I don't do darkroom printing. Um, I had been doing a little bit of darkroom printing um, before we moved, yeah. and I've sort of lost those facilities. To um, I don't have a, a darkroom sink anymore. I don't have you know a way to easily do that. Um, so what I'm shooting for and exposing for is generally a scan as rather than a print. Right. So my densities are are quite different than somebody who would be uh, be doing something for uh, darkroom printing.
2: So would you? It's a bit of a we've gone on a bit of a segue here, but I think it might be an interesting one. So uh, my understanding, if you're making a negative for scanning as opposed to printing, would generally you would be looking for something on the thinner side? So, that's correct for scanning. Yep. So you don't, but presumably you didn't. You don't want to lose your shadow detail. So you, you but basically, I suppose you need to do some tests and determine the uh, fastest speed you can use for that film without losing shadow detail, and then mm-hmm. not over, and then not over developing. That would give you the thinnest sort yes. of negative, wouldn't it? Definitely. In fact, that's the old boys would always tell you that you should always aim for the thinnest negative possible. With good shadow details, and uh, that way you're not pushing contrast, and you're not pushing grain and things like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, the more the more perfect you can get that going into either process, whether it be scanning or the or the uh, the darkroom or alternative prints, yeah. um, then you you really are going to benefit by by nailing that up front.
2: So this this at this point when you were doing semi stand development in Rodinal for. 15 minutes to, uh, did you abandon you've now abandoned that technique have you for oh, yeah, X-ray?
1: absolutely absolutely so uh, generally these days I, I use Bessler 8 by 10 print tank which holds uh, there's several different models but the ones that I have hold a single sheet of 8 by 10 or with a, a small um, insert that holds them in place four sheets of four by five. And then I use uh, about 700 milliliters of uh, rodinol in there, and I'll, I'll use uh, a one-to-150 ratio and do it for, I think, six and a half minutes. Um, and I, I lay that on top of a um, unicolor 352 auto-rotating drum. So it takes care of all that. It doesn't do anything like the Jobo would with, with the temperature control, but generally I'm doing everything at, at uh, room temperature anyway.
2: Yeah, so what... I, I follow James Guerin's advice with the double-sided x-ray film. And I, I try develop that in with, with some glass on the bottom of my trays. Yep. Uh, yeah. The... Little, tip,
1: little tip with that is go, go to your um, dollar store or dollar store equivalent in the UK.
2: Pound and... store. Yeah. <laughs> Poundland. Yeah. You got uh, it.
1: And, um, uh, and when you're not buying that that uh, Poundland film, which you, I guess you can't. You can't do get anymore, that.
2: No, you it's gone. You know,
1: go go to the section that has the eight by ten portrait sort of uh, frames. They're really cheap ones, not the not the plastic frames, but get the glass ones. And then just take the frame, throw the frame away, get the glass, put that in your in your tray, and that will keep the scratching um, to a bare minimum. If you're yeah. using the double sided stuff.
2: I think I, I, I hunted in our spare room for some old frames and took out some glass. But it did occur to me when I was hunting. I said I can go to a cheap shop to get some old frames. So I, uh, I'm with you on that. But I'm so my my process is actually s- similar, I, I guess. But I'm using James recommended a start point of one to one hundred rodanol and five to six minutes. Um, but and but turning t- with no agitation, other than turn the sheet over once every minute, so it gets, mm-hmm. I suppose, developer to both sides. But other than that, uh, no agita- agitation at all. And I, I got an uh, before that some pre-washing to get rid of. Uh, otherwise, you get strange marks on the on the sure on the film. But in terms of the development that sort of six five or six minutes time so I found that I was getting nice negative that I could make traditional contact prints from but for my uh, salt printing escapades, which I get mercifully ribbed for uh, I found that was a I needed to up up the the density a bit more or the or the negative contrast I wasn't really sure what it was so I've um, but I, I I what I change one thing at a time. So I changed the development from one to 100 to one to 50 without really doing much more differently to the making the the negative in the first place. And I found that that increase in, uh, in contrast that the one to 50 gave me was enough to give me a more pleasing density in the salt printing process, which is inherently a low contrast sort of process anyway. Sure. So broadly similar, but mine were just, as I say in the tray turning it over
1: yeah yeah i one of the goals with using x-ray film was to get something that i could really experiment experiment with at a cheap level yeah um because one of the projects that i've been working on i think it's the fourth year that i'm working on it is a a project called farmscapes of the civil war where i've been um shooting various um battlefields and the farms um areas during the Civil War, the American Civil War, were primarily um, either railroad-based or agrarian. So we had a lot of farms, a lot of families um, sharing farm responsibilities, and a lot of them paid um, a terrible price in in the looting and just general destruction, um, more so from you know, the, the enemy soldiers coming in, even friendly soldiers and just completely devastating everything that the family had before they, they left and and went on to the next, uh, the next battle. Um, so I wanted to try to capture these areas, which are preserved a lot of them very well. Um, not everything is original, um, but you sort of do your research and figure out, figure out which ones are original Um, even if they aren't original, they're, they're generally a pretty good, um, subject for large format. And so I've been using, um, both, uh, well, a combination of four by five, um, five by seven and eight by 10 with the hopes of eventually, um, moving into contact prints with, um, cyanotypes Mm -hmm. but T-toning them, Yep. um,
2: and yeah, I like that effect because you're getting that you're getting rid of the harsh blue, aren't you? And getting exactly, yeah, more brownie, oldie worldy look, I guess.
1: Yeah, and one of the one of the people that um, I think it was about six months ago signed up for the Lensless Podcast uh, Facebook group is Teresa, yeah, and she had some um, a series of of, uh, of videos on YouTube where I learned um, how to do a lot of the um, the cyanotype. Uh, Now, she was she was doing with Holga negatives, um, but she was doing it on cloth, um, cotton cloth squares. And that sort of really tripped something in my head where, you know, I could I could do something that was not quite a, you know, a canvas print like I would have done back in the digital days, but would still have a little bit more, in my mind, at least permanence or a little bit more um, of a tactile feel that you could actually kind of, you know, Uh, have a little bit more of the the area invested um and um i'm still trying to figure out how i would do that in a book form i think it would just be something that i would put up on the on the wall um but i my my ultimate goal is to have all these things from this project uh set up as either eight by ten um contact prints with uh, cyanotype with which is t-toned or um the potential and this is a format that I really like is 5 by seven in an 11 by 14 mat um, which really seems at least for me to draw my my attention inward to the photo and that's something that I I sort of fell in love with when I went to a, a Paul Strand exhibit that the Philadelphia Art Museum had a couple of years ago he had a lot of his uh, his more well-known works uh, in a smaller mat uh, sm- smaller photo in a large mat like that and It seemed to be something that um, would really lend itself well with some of these older farms and fence rows and stone walls and things that I'm accumulating through this project.
2: What about um, liquid emulsion on paper or cloth? Have you considered that?
1: Um, I have. I haven't played with it yet. Um, I do have a, um, what is it? Um, Colloid, I think. I forget the name of the actual company that, that puts it out. It's uh, sold through uh, freestyle. Um, they're um, a dry plate kit. kit. That's something that, that I definitely want to start investigating. And uh, but you can
2: buy the, I don't know what over here in the UK, there's, I think F- photo speed mm-hmm. is not, not British, but it's European company photo speed. Certainly make one and Rolly, I think make a liquid emulsion. So it's, it's mm-hmm. you, you, you heat the, container up and pour some of this stuff into a container and then under subdued lighting or the correct safe lighting, you can just brush it onto uh, whatever, well, I've seen, whatever. I've surface. seen Tina
1: Rowe do that, See, but yeah. I, I guess it was seashells.
2: Yeah, she does. She's doing that project. And I, and I think that would, that would kind of fit because she's, you know, she's a very thoughtful photographer and, you know, in, in much the same way as they, you're thinking of the why and the where and the how, uh, and trying to relate meaning to places through her image making, so she's exploring all sorts of ideas of identity of heritage and self you know she's a uh, she she was a a mixed a mixed race adoptee so she has uh, she she grew up with all sorts of you know questions around her, her heritage and and uh, questions of the past and so she she spends a lot of time on the london seashore mudlarking for these uh, oyster shells mm-hmm. and she coats them with uh, uh, liquid emulsion and uses I think a variety of found negatives of, of f- people whose, you know lot, lost images things she finds in junk stores and things to so try and make some comment on the past R- but really it's around her own feelings and emotions to do with past and um, identity
1: she's really tying it all together in the end
2: she is yeah yeah, and it seems like your sort of Civil War stuff, wouldn't it be great if you could find uh, um, some vintage cloth or something something from that era to coat this stuff onto? Maybe, yeah. I'm not suggesting you go and vandalize some of these sites and sort of, <laughs> sort of prise off bits of weatherboard.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, over here, that's actually a federal offense if you take anything back from the battlefield.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a that's a thought because I, I think I think it's uh, I'm not sure if it's u- uniquely uh, um, American thing, but um, do 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 they still make uh, like patchwork quilts with um, sections on them with, uh, with with scenes of things?
1: Absolutely, in the area that we live, it's um, it's very heavily influenced by the Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, or more correctly, Pennsylvania Germans. Um, and the Amish and the Mennonites, um, and that's one of their specialties. Are these sort of um, uh, storytelling quilts? Um, well,
0: well, well, that's I mean, that's just the thought of this is just being triggered by the conversation you just you just been having there. And I'm, I'm just wondering if there's some some kind of scope to actually do a a photographic version of one of those using uh, one of these liquid emulsions and and then projecting onto these sections of the, of the quilt, some of the photographs of, uh, of your civil war type of um, imagery.
1: Yeah, certainly an interesting idea.
0: It's not often yeah. I have those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At this point, I'm, I'm so open, you know, to all sorts of different ideas that one of the reasons that the project has gone on so long is I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going with it. Um, eventually it's going to be a book form. Um, and then there may be, you know, something other than that, if I can get some exhibit space or something. Um, but, you know, the question has been, how much do I want to invest in sort of um, rehashing the history and putting uh, a more thorough narrative along with that? I I feel like I, I want to do that, but the problem is there's been so many books published um, that sort of – I, I'm not sure what I could add, um, and I could certainly um, cause a lot of controversy because there's the the sort of the mindset around the Civil War in a lot of these areas is um, the, these people that follow the uh, the Civil War, whether they be reenactors or just general sort of uh, people with a an interest in it, they're extremely passionate and to the point where they they have. You know, fist fights over things. Um, they have um, you know long drawn out uh, Facebook uh, exchanges that get very very heated, um, and they all have a, a an opinion about everything. And I want to sort of stay away from um, giving anything but what the pictures say about the area. Mm. You know.
0: Yeah. No, to understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm just wondering if we if we can. Uh, move things on a little bit into the direction of why, uh, you, you take, uh, your photographs, the, the, and the, the, the direction, uh, that you, you go with your photography. Have you got any thoughts you want to expand on and on, on that front?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, a, I guess I'd a little different than most people when they go out. Um, I think people tend to fall into one of three groups. They either, uh, go out for just the fun of it, um, and you'll see a lot of these people will not be large format photographers because I think to be a large large format photographer is to also shoot with a lot more intent um, and certainly a, a lot more sort of investment in time and um, resources and you know bringing out a big tripod and everything else is is definitely a commitment. Um, but you'll have the people who will go out and just kind of browse an area. Um, these are the photo walk people. That sort of, you know, they, they do some brilliant work a lot of times, um, but that would drive me nuts. Um, and then you have the people who are um, sort of very focused on going to an area and um, taking specific pictures of specific things. I tend to be in the third group where I go out and um, I make photographs of things um they, they may be subjects that you see in the picture, but I'm not photographing the subject. I'm photographing how I feel about the subject. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit like um, art school BS, but um, that's really sort of how I feel. Um, and there have been times, I do a lot of day trips, and there have been times when I've driven like five or six hours uh, one way and gotten to a spot and I just feel nothing. Um, or I feel like it's just it's just not the day to be photographed could have potential on another day, but it's just not that day. And I've turned around and gone home. Um, Because I know the photograph that I would have forced would have just not been the photograph that had to be made. And so um, that leads to, I guess a little bit more investment into the, the actual art of making a photo, but it also, means I don't take as many photos and I don't quite tie all the loose ends in the work together in, in a timely fashion. It just takes a lot longer to, to sort of go places and have the feeling be right.
2: So when you've gone on one of these trips, Greg, and you've, got, you've driven a couple of hours or I've no idea how long you've drive for, um, most of us would, um, having gone all that way, would just for the heck of it make, a, make an image um, and hope for the best, I suppose. Certainly I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, In most cases. Um, So what is it do you think that's that's stopping you doing that on some occasion? Is it could it be the kind of day you've had? Could it be the lighting? Could it be some other emotion or feeling that you can't quite put your finger on?
1: it's, it's definitely a mix of all those things. Um, Mm -hmm. if I, if I get cut off, (laughs) if I get cut off in traffic on the way there, I may be just in a really foul mood and that will affect things, you know, my back hurts because I've been carrying around an eight by 10, you know, and, uh, and several film holders in a, in a heavy backpack that will, you know, tend to affect my mood. Um, sometimes it, you know, it's, it's things that, um, you just get there and, there's just this weird feeling that um, especially in some of these historical places that it's just not that day, you know, it'll be a different day, but it's just not going to be that day because they're not, the site isn't giving you what you need for that connection. And it's a little weird to think of it that way. Um, But Well,
2: it's not, it's not really, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm minded to make a couple of comparisons. There was, on Sunny Sixteen podcast, uh, Eric—I forget his surname uh, 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 cartog- uh yeah, conspiracy
1: you know. of cartographers. Yes,
2: yeah. He. So I've got a couple of his scenes, but uh, I, I really enjoy when he talks. He—he he was on maybe it was probably a year ago now, talking about his sort of road trip, and he—he he visited a lot of Native American Indian uh, sites, and he mm-hmm. speaks about with some uh, clarity speaks about the kind of feelings he had there and, you know, the overwhelming sense of sadness and the, and sometimes I don't think he made photographs there.
1: Yeah. I, I, I have that, that zine that you're talking about. Um, the one from, I guess, two summers ago and mm-hmm. um, his talk of having, you know, women and children massacred at, at two or three different spots um, along his trip, just the overwhelming um, sadness and the the energy, because everything is is essentially energy, right? Um, whether it's energy that's newer energy or energy that's been left over, at least in my beliefs, energy that's been left over for centuries, um, sometimes longer, that's just sort of staying there and, and inhabiting the place. All of that stuff, it doesn't affect everybody, but it affects those people who are sensitive to it. Um, some people are more intuitive than others and they will pick up on that um we were discussing in the in the um the pre-show uh banter that my wife one of her um sort of qualities uh is that she for her entire life has been extremely intuitive and will pick up on what a lot of people will call ghosts or residual energy and she will be able to um have things sort of playing on a loop that will be revealed to her. And that's always interesting when we go to these battlefields. Um, She's come back to the car crying and, Hmm. and I've had to tell her, you know, what happened there. And, and it, she's described people um, down to their dress and what they were wearing and what direction they were heading and um, what they were saying. And, and all of that checks out with historical facts that are known to be true and, Um, There have been places where I've taken her, for instance, the Slider Farm, the John Slider Farm on Gettysburg, which is a a fairly remote place to get to. You have to kind of uh, hike a trail down into a a valley and um, not generally someplace that unless you're working for the park service that you can drive to. And I I knew that a specific corner of the property had been um, used to stack dead bodies, dead Confederate bodies. But... Um, she certainly doesn't know any of that stuff because it doesn't really interest her as, as some, you know, something that she would sit down and watch a movie about or read or, and she described that same scene to me, um, based upon what she saw, the history and the residual energies that she saw. So, um, you know, sometimes when I get to these places, um, it's almost always when I'm by myself and I just don't feel like it's the right time, um, I I generally hearken back to you know the fact that it's all energy and that energy can be negative sometimes. So do you, um, you,
2: do, have, so do you get this, do you get these feelings? You know, when you've been a long way and you and you don't end up making an image, does it tend to be those sites then, with you know, with with some strong uh, residual historical, you know, residue, if you want? Or, you know, if you were just going to a if you were going to photograph you know, uh, I don't know, a, a shopping mall or some sort of Stephen Shaw type topographic image. Um do, do you get do you get different feelings then or is it is it yeah. the same? Sometimes
1: sometimes it's you know that's the the feeling that it's not the right time or sometimes it's an outright feeling of dread. Hmm. Um oftentimes when I go to you know we'll take the Stephen Shaw sort of uh, abandoned thing uh you know, you'll go to in front of a Kmart, which is a was a, a major chain here in the U.S., and um, they're probably 5% of the stores that they originally were open is, still exist. And you'll go to one of these places, and you'll feel nothing because there's no connection. There's no, um, you know, there's no real history. There wasn't um, a reason for those people to still stick around. Um, and it's not a place for energy to to exist. It's a a, a place for energy to be absent. Hmm. And so I feel nothing for those places. And I feel bad about that. Um, And other times I've arrived at, uh, we went up to um, uh, a place near Buffalo, New York, I think it was last year or the year before uh, for one of my wife's things. And um, I happened to be driving around by myself and I saw this old Kmart and it was I felt that a statement had to be made um, about the fact that it was closed and sort of, you know, I, I hate to bring, you know, Donald Trump into it, but there are certain reasons. Oh, please, do. A, please do. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain reasons why a lot of these places and, and for years they've been going out of business, not just Trump, but a lot of these places are, are places that, um, you know, really don't get supported by the neighborhood anymore because the industry has left the neighborhood or, um you know the the reasons for people to be um more affluent in the area have have left hmm. and so you know i i feel i feel compelled to sort of um even if it's with my phone which is what i did on that particular day i just used my phone to to take sort of iron an ironic empty parking lot with a single um you know shopping cart in the shopping cart uh carousel out in the parking lot that kind of thing um so there's there's all sorts of reasons for taking a photo in my mind, and, and all sorts of reasons, sometimes more, for um, to not.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I um, I, 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 I kind of, I kind of have had a similar experience. I've had a couple of trips now to uh, World War One and World War. Two battlefields, but particularly uh three three years ago a friend and I went on a four day trip around what 's called the Ypres or eeps salient and uh, y p r e s was a uh, part was a was a an area that saw much fighting between nineteen fourteen and nineteen seventeen uh, culminating sort of in sort of Passchendaele's battle. Mm-hmm. And we just, uh, but there's not much to see, you see. There's not, there, unlike World War II sites, there's often, there are things left behind, brick-reinforced buildings and bunkers and mm-hmm. gun emplacements. But with with a lot of these World War One sites, my friend was driving me to these gra- graveyards where either either the fallen were gathered together and lined up nicely in nice cemeteries or sometimes they were just the graves were erected where they fell and I had my large format camera with me and I didn't really know what was going to come of this trip and so I I would I I would be drawn inevitably to the landscape around around the the cemetery so we'd go to these places and one I remember one we went to which was um, I think it was Yorkshire regiment trenches and there's not much there's a little bit of a a touristy thing there and then there's all these warehouses modern warehouses and I I just photographed these warehouses because I just what kept coming into me is well what's under you know what's what's underneath these buildings what and and I ended up photographing really quite banal things but they're actually they saw the slaughter of hundreds or thousands of of people and that really and i felt some sort of connection with those with the land and i felt well you know people are working in these places day in and day out i'm sure they probably do know the history of these areas but you know it it looked a hundred years ago it was just devastated land and mud and now it's a a warehouse you know and I photographed this warehouse and it was just a, a banal photograph, but it resonated so much with me because of, you know, what, what had gone on there a hundred years before.
1: It's definitely a hidden story to be told there.
0: Yeah. Simon. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm finding this fascinating. Um, I mean, we touched, we touched upon uh, a similar thing uh, a couple of podcasts back with um, With Stephen. With like Stephen. Yeah, Stephen Segel, Stephen Segersby, and um, and I and I, I talked about a particular place uh, that he had taken some photographs and and felt similar things to uh, what Steve was talking about and now what uh, you're talking about and uh, Greg and I'm just 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 wondering now because I, I, I'm just wondering if we talked about this uh, with Graham as well potentially uh, in an earlier podcast and I'm, and I'm I'm just wondering does if. Does large format photography um, put you in more in touch? I, feel I, I could be talking complete nonsense here. There might be some people just laughing at me now, but I'm just wondering if it if it does actually put you more in touch with what's going on um, on a on a on a different level because you are taking so much time with these with your with your photographs. You 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 do tend to be able to. Take in what's going on around you, and I've there have been plenty of times where, um, especially with these old old sites where I might go to. There's a place called the Magpie Mine, uh, which is about thirty miles away from from my house, and I've been there a few times. And I've thinking there's 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 good photographs here, but I just don't. I'll, I'll go there, and sometimes you know the light's okay because I mean at one point. When we're talking about going somewhere and you just don't take the photograph, I mean, I think some people might be saying, well, perhaps the light just wasn't right, and therefore you didn't take the photograph. Um, But I've been to places such as the Magpie Mine, and uh, the light has been fine, but I felt like I I could just not be in tune uh, with the place. And I know that there are interesting photographs to be taken, and I could see them, but... Um, it just didn't, didn't feel right. And I just, just wonder if our slow way of doing things, uh, just makes us more attuned to that kind of thing.
1: I think, I think if anything, um, it clears your mind much in the way that maybe meditation does. You're so focused. I know that the one thing that, um, I'm not thinking about when I'm doing large format photography is work, I'm not thinking about bills. I'm not thinking about the jerk that cut me off in, in, uh, In traffic, you know, the day before, um, I'm not thinking about any of those things because I am so absorbed into that camera, uh, in a way you, you just simply can't be absorbed in any other kind of photography. It's just so, um, you, you really do have to meet it way more than halfway in many cases. And, um, and I'm sure that that will get you know, even uh, a stronger pull if I went to something like, you know, wet plate or dry plate or something that was even more esoteric. Um, I certainly feel that way with pinhole. It's very, it's very contemplative. And I think by clearing your mind, you're starting to think more about not just the subject, but why is the subject here? What happened with this subject? Um, what you know in the case of a lot of these abandonments, like I talked uh, about in the beginning, I'm wondering why these these farmhouses aren't inhabited. They certainly seem like they could be fixed up, but there's more to that story. That you know maybe a little bit of more research might enlighten me. But in many cases, nobody even knows um, on the tax records who owns those properties anymore. And so, um, you start to think about a lot of things that you don't think about had you been, um, using maybe something a little bit more portable or something that where you can just use muscle memory and, and shoot with, um, it it really does open up a whole other, uh, part of contemplative photography for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. You mentioned pinhole and, um, that's a common thread when we when I speak to pinhole uh, fellow pinhole photographers be it large format pinhole or uh, more often than not roll film it's the uh, you know you could you can be making an exposure for minutes um, or longer possibly you know we were we were photographing on world pinhole day in a church and some of those exposures were were 30 minutes and you know whatever your uh, whatever your faith or not you know those old buildings are soaked with the memories of all sorts of people, and just being forced to sit still, and by the nature of these places, you tend to be quite quiet. Um, you know thirty minutes would pass. there three or four of us, and thirty minutes would just fly by. And I think we all came away from that experience, feeling curiously rested and fulfilled. And I think part of that was just the contemplative nature of the photography and also the, uh, the place itself.
1: Absolutely. I, I photograph quite a lot at a, a, um, penitentiary that's been closed, I think since 1971. It was actually abandoned for probably 20 or 30 years. And then they fixed up enough of it to make it a tourist attraction in Philadelphia. It's mm. called Eastern state penitentiary. And I actually have a, a membership there so I can get in, um, uh, You know,
2: they let you out again. They let you out again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's always a good, it's always a bonus. (laughs) And um, it's the same thing there that um, the punishment system there was, uh, well, they started back in 1829, I think it was. Um, So it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, um, major penitentiaries in in the United States. And the the method of punishment there was very much a uh, solitary confinement kind of thing. Um, you were put into a cell by yourself, and they have these slits across the ceiling, um, which let in a very um, concentrated beam of light down onto the floor, mm-hmm. and that was the only thing that you would see um, for much of your day, except when the guard would open up the, the small window to, to give you your food. Um, and they called that the the eye of God, because you were doing penance and you were to think about what you had done to put you there, and knowing that God was always watching you. And to photograph in that place um, is, it's very special, it can be very eerie sometimes, especially in the winter when there's only a few tourists coming through and it's it's not heated, so it's about five degrees sometimes. Um, You can really sort of feel what they felt if for only the briefest, you know, 15 or 20 minutes that you're there, everything is, Almost everything is long exposure in that place because it is darker in the corridors. Um, and I've photographed, knowing it would turn out this way, I've photographed several large format. They're, they're on Flickr, um, where the people show up as ghostly apparitions. Um, they do an audio tour there. And so you, everybody's walking around with their um, audio ca- uh, tour cassettes on. And they're, they're very um, in their own world. they don't they don't care if they walk in front of your camera they don't care if they just stop there and the thing that they're not doing is they're not conversing and they're not looking at their phone generally which is very unique in this day and age they're just kind of walking around discovering things and listening to the story and so they become part of the subject themselves um and they become because it's a darker area they become a, a almost a ghostly apparition as they move through the area and I've really enjoyed making some of those photographs.
2: Looking at your album in Flickr, Gold Eastern State Penitentiary. Are these all made with large format?
1: No, some Remember, of them are. Some an, of them there looks like an
2: HDR thing here. You mentioned HDR.
1: Yeah, there, there's some of the, the original ones would have been HDR from when I first started going there. Um, I've done some work there with uh, a Nikon F4S, 35 millimeter, and I've done a lot of work there with both the uh, Bronica medium format and um, Mamiya C330 medium format. And then a surprisingly um, productive series of photos done on 4x5 um, with my, I think it was a Sake Toy- Toyo metal uh, fuel camera with X-ray film. And so um, a lot mm. of the, the better ones, or at least the ones I consider to be the better ones are ones that I shot with that camera, on x-ray film
2: folks listening I'd, the, I'd recommend uh, you check out greg's album on eastern state penitentiary i've got one immediately and of course i, th- I think the the, the, the one is, it's the barbershop inside and of course you, I, I, I looked at it first of all and did a double take because you think it's bound to be an electric chair but clearly it's not <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot of people make that mistake <laughs> um, they actually
1: did it, they did have an electric chair but it was in a different part of the building
2: but this but this barbershop chair is kind of in fairly good condition and it's mm-hmm. in this appallingly run down little um, area. Yeah. And they,
1: and they doubled those dentist chairs and
2: um, yeah, there probably was quite a bit of pain when in there someone was having their teeth yeah. yanked out. So what what are you this was with a Bronica medium format camera but the same challenges for you with your like, so in a place like this are they happy for you to set your tripod up with a large format camera and,
1: surprisingly it's one of the only places in the area that is yeah. I mean, they love photographers because mm-hmm. photographers bring all sorts of other people in, and um, they're great for word of mouth. You, you know, you, you s- basically you set up an area like that, and you make it tripod friendly, and the people will will flock there in droves. Mm. When you have that much uh, texture, I call it texture Disneyland, yeah. because yeah. it really is a place that just it it's falling apart but it's also shored up at the same time so you're not never in any danger in the in the cell blocks that they allow you in
2: this picture looks particularly well and sometimes it's it's not it's just with a lot with a long exposure it ends up looking more like daylight than it really really was but you yeah. know is it what sort of technical challenges are you faced with in there particularly using a view camera
1: um a, a lot of it is just making sure that you're getting into the the um, into the shadows with a, a long enough exposure, but not having that eye of God light at the top just blow everything out.
2: Yeah. And then you're you're using uh, Pyrocat, so mm-hmm. pyro staining development. We've touched on those in previous shows. Uh, this particular one, you're using Pyrocat HD. Yes. I know there are several variants, aren't there? And I mm-hmm. can remember which.
1: Yeah, there's there's HD, and then there's MC. And yeah. uh, generally speaking, the MC, they say, is, is usually what you want to go for for rotary development, okay. and the HD for pretty much everything else.
2: Yeah, I've, I've used a bit of PyroCat HD. I, I, a local supplier to where I live called Wet Plate Supplies, which I've mentioned before, he makes it up. So I can get it quite easily. I've been using some burger the french company py- uh, pyrocat pmk uh, pyro uh, py- um, pyro pmk pyro what's it called yeah pyrocat yeah. is it pyro I don't know anyway yeah. pmk yeah. um so I'm never really too sure what the difference is I'm getting a nice stain the the highlights are well retained and that's the magic that's the magic isn't it of these uh
1: yeah, it really uh, is. You, it's, it's sort uh, of it's sort of a big acting. win with PyroCat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's um eminently suited for this sort of subject, I would think. But this um S Bronica SQA camera. I've often I've often lusted after a Bronica SQA, but my days of um, gas are behind me, I think.
1: Yeah, they're they're super cheap, but the problem is they are electronic. The electronic leaf shutters um, are are unserviceable. There's not a really any place that you can send them anymore. Bronica had been bought by Tamron yeah. y- years ago, that's and that's right. Yeah, I remember that. And there's just no there's no service bureaus at all. So no. I ended up buying three of them and a whole litany of lenses because I just wanted through attrition to make sure that I could still shoot it for a while.
2: Yeah, these are great. Uh, Uh, I'm now look. I've moved on a bit now, called Sleep Tight Pleasant Dreams, and this is a rusting, an old rusting bed frame in a cell. Again, with your brunica SQA and uh, Tmax four hundred in Pyrocat. But I mean, is it? It looks pretty bright in there. Is it? Is it well illuminated, or is it just that little eye of God light at the top?
1: Yeah, that's that's the only light you really have. The only thing Mm. coming in now. The ones that I photograph in are ones that have the, the door uh, pulled open yeah. um, completely. And so I'm, I'm sticking one leg um, all the way into the cell because they don't let you go into the cell yourself in, in most cases. Um, extending that a, about as far out as I can get and then um, sticking the lens in there, which is always a challenge because especially with the large format stuff, you lose sight of the lens because yeah. it's now in uh, ahead of you in this darkened area. So I've learned to use a little cosmetic mirror and a flashlight. So I can, I know. Yeah. I could, I could see where my, my uh, shutter speeds are and my aperture. And it's pretty easy to shut down the lens itself, with the little flippy thing
2: in the same way that the prisoners would have held out the mirrors into the, to see who
1: was coming coming down the hall. Yeah.
2: So I would imagine you, do, do Do you find yourself in this place often coming away with that without making a picture or do you find that most of the times you're
1: the only time that I felt like i I really couldn't photograph was um there are times when they have uh organized tourists come through hmm. and it you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for them to clear out because it's not even something that you could make into an interesting like stream of people as they go by yeah. Um, or when I've I've gone there, and you know, I brought my own problem with me. I I went in with a preconceived notion that I've shot everything, and maybe I'll walk away with something that I hadn't seen before. And when I go in with a bad attitude like that, I come away with nothing.
2: Mm, state of I mind, re- uh, exactly. That, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, about the kind of mind frame you you're in to go out on a you know, to, to if you're going out to make photographs, what what sort of mindset you're in and how that affects what you eventually may or may not come away with. Mm, Food for thought.
0: Oh. It, it is. And, uh, I'm thinking as well, looking at the time that we have, I, I think we're going to have to start to bring, uh, things to a close now, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, another guest to get on again, I think. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, Greg, it's, um, it's been great listening to you and great talking to you.
1: It's been great to talk with you guys. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, before we do uh, shout-outs and and uh, and people and direct people to where you're at, um, I just want to thank uh, those people who have donated to us uh, since the last show, um, uh, namely uh, James Thorpe. Yay, um, good old James. Yeah, and... excuse me and we've got somebody here called Jess Lance Um, and in brackets yeah guys I'm a dude yeah okay so i i, I guess correctly which is which is which is good because you did you did call him a girl last time uh, ah yes yes, yes you remember now well no, i wasn't sure was i no no well <laughs> well he well, is yes. um and uh and he commented um to say yeah uh, you have me flapping my hands like a pigeon trapped in a greenhouse <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be talking about the beer mats there um and um and christopher j may has, has uh, contributed again mm-hmm. um and uh he said um another most enjoyable episode uh this podcast has done more to get me out using large format gear than anything else in the past several years uh cheers gentlemen and see you in So the format. he gets ha- he gets halfway through he says, i can't bear this anymore i'm going out with my camera <laughs>
2: <laughs> There was a long email. You you know what we've also forgotten. Probably too late again now. So you're going to have to apologise to that person who sent in the long email that we were going to read, weren't we? Uh, you yeah, know you've forgotten. have forgotten all about that. Uh, so, I know. Uh,
0: that's a double apology there because I've yes. really forgotten we were and going to
2: do it and forgotten who sent it in.
0: Exactly. So mm. uh, so sorry. <laughs> apologise to whoever it, you, you were. were. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hmm. Um, and uh, actually, you mentioned talking about dry plates uh, earlier, Greg. Um, you'll be interested to hear that we've got Jason Lane uh, lined up to be coming uh, on the show soon. Jay, of Jason, I think. I think. It
1: has, yeah, Jay Lane, uh, photographic, I think, or something.
0: Ex- exactly. Yeah. Um, I've
1: got I've got him lined up to purchase some plates from him pretty soon
0: excellent excellent well uh we we had uh jason on the classic lenses podcast uh about two months ago and it was fascinating i uh, chatting to him about uh a, a lot of things that we thought we knew about and turned out we know absolutely nothing uh, because, that guy
1: is uh, that guy has a supernatural amount of knowledge nobody should know that much about lenses <laughs> no, no. that was that was an incredibly good episode oh, good.
0: I, I didn't didn't realize you're li- you listening to that so uh, oh, that's, yeah. that's that's good to know um, but yeah that, that was it, it was fascinating and we didn't we touched upon the dry plate stuff but um we also knew that really that that's that wasn't really the uh, the best time to be to be going through that so um we will have uh, James, uh, Jason uh, joining us uh, in the in the near future. Um, so, uh, so that's all of those things. Um, Andrew, have you got any shout outs or anything? you want to talk about this week before we disappear?
2: Um, no, don't think so. No, oh, so okay. I really should. I really should come much better prepared. Yeah, <laughs> um, because uh, uh, I I do my uh, guest research and then I forget. Things like shout-outs.
0: Well, no no worries. Well, uh, um, have you got any shout-outs, Greg?
1: I do. Sort of an unusual one. Um, not really large format related, but uh, I suggest everybody go to their local art museum and look at how the classic painters sort of picked up on things like leading lines and the use of colour and shadow and the use of directional light because all those things can really feed into the the shots that you pick up on that maybe you weren't quite going to get unless you had those things in the back of your mind because you went to a a museum and how saw you know the the classic uh, painters saw those kinds of things
0: i think that's that's an excellent one there and and i've i've seen a few i mean i don't i tend not to go to the art museums so i'm not too sure there are many around where i am at least anyway but there's when when i see programs talking about certain photo, uh, certain paintings and i I, f- I feel since i've gone back into photography in a in a reasonably big way i've i do seem to understand a lot more about what they uh, what they're talking about and how they're actually how the how these paintings were, were were set out and what they were trying to achieve it seems to make a lot more sense to me now
2: yeah
0: and well, you, your eyes are a bit your eyes are being open to
2: image making in general so I think once you get tuned in to be image making through photography then you know you'd be you'd be foolish to ignore uh, other forms of image making and and, you know you I think it's very easy to find yourself drawn into other areas of and and to appreciate it but it's it's such a it's a great uh, it's a great call you made there Greg to go and uh, check out plus you're supporting your local art institution or art gallery as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: They keep on getting their, their funding cut all the time by government yeah, and it's, yeah. um, it's a, still a great resource for, for photographers, even if photography isn't even exhibited. Yep.
0: Yeah, actually, just on a the, on the similar note, um, old photographs, um, especially like taken in the late uh, 1800s and such. Uh, I remember watching a, another program. About uh, you know wet wet plate photography in, in its infancy, and and, it, and I was just looking at some of these these photographs that were that were taken in certain parts of uh, Britain, and I was looking at them, and what struck me is like they they could have been taken today. All the all the things I would look for in how I would compose a photograph or what I think was a well composed photograph, I, I was I was seeing these things that were being done 100 and, 120 years ago. Uh, and that, that that sort of shocked me. Uh, I was thinking, this looks modern, and it's uh, but the, it's again, it's the same rules apply to what what is beautiful, what is well composed, whether it be a painting, whether it be an old photograph, whether it be a new digital photograph. Now, you know those those rules still apply.
1: Yeah, you guys have such a a wealth of like beautiful cathedrals and abbeys and and what have you. Um, some of the stuff that Frederick Evans did um early in the 19th century his work was just amazing with some of the 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 um the images that he took in those places just the use of shadow and and really you know letting your darks go to dark and and the the way that the um sort of the pictorialist style of of the lenses of the time all of that sort sorts to swirl the pot and 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 make this this beautiful recipe of an image and um, i don't know if you're familiar with bruce barnbaum
2: um yeah i've um i mentioned him i think one or two shows back i think on this podcast but yeah. i have his uh, book he did a whole series of cathedral studies didn't he absolutely he, he, and he put he's out got a... some great books as well the ways of i've got his way of seeing i think and another one the art of photography to two, mm-hmm. two of his books
1: yeah he has a, a great book called um uh i think it's called symphony Yes. And it has it's in different movements. And so he has uh, images made in slot canyons as one movement. He has one area of, I think, industrial uh, sort of images, sort of like a Charles Sheeler kind of work. And then um, he has a, a section on, on the cathedrals and just amazing stuff.
2: He has some YouTube videos, videos out as well with some of his teaching stuff on there. Yeah, and, uh, his, he his,
1: loves shadows in Zone Four.
2: He's pub, yes, that's right, <laughs> Zone Four. He's 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 in both recent issues of Photo Classic International, which European listeners can subscribe to. Photo Classic International magazine. He's got articles in both of those. It, uh, really, articles looking at ways of seeing and why we photograph. And but yeah, he places his shadows on Zone Four. And he was the first, I was telling, I think it was when Matt came on, not Matt, uh, Ben Horn came on the show. We were talking about uh, slot canyons and and Bruce was the, probably the first person to start making photographs in places like Antelope Canyon. And uh, he stopped making photographs in those places in the, probably the late 80s when he couldn't get in them anymore because they were just full of coach loads of tourists.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But he's a, he's a great, so we'd recommend it. So if I'm going to shout out anybody, I think I may have shouted him out before, Bruce Barnbaum's books and his work, um, certainly worth following up. Of course,
1: you've got to give the shout-out of the week to um, um, Andrew Sanderson.
2: Well, is, I, because I haven't mentioned him this week, you mean? Because
1: you haven't mentioned him. You did get your salt <laughs> prints in, but you didn't mention Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Andrew has become a good friend on social media and and um he's through his books, he's helped me out quite a bit in in opening my eyes to different ways and different opportunities to see things. So, yeah, his
2: book on home photography is still uh, one of my, love, one of my actually, favorite books.
1: I actually have that on my on my um, corner table right now.
2: yeah, it's great a, book what whatever your Whatever your subject matter, uh, whatever if you want to improve your photography and, and the way you see things, buy Andrew's book on home photography. There you go. I've got another plug-in for Andrew. That's another one pound fifty commission. <laughs> 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 Thanks for reminding me, Greg. I nearly missed out on it this week.
0: So, uh, Greg, um, how can people follow you outside of this podcast and the uh, the various Facebook groups that uh, you, you you occupy?
1: Um, I can always be found on Flickr. It's uh, Greg Obst, all one word: G R E G G O B S T. Uh, and similarly on Instagram at the same uh, uh, username. Uh, both of those are sort of mirrors of the uh, of one another. For for the large format stuff, I'd recommend Flickr definitely because you can see it in a reasonable size. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I am on various, uh, the Lensless uh, Podcast Photography Group, the Large Format Photography Podcast Group, and uh, of course, the Negative uh, uh, Positives uh, Photography Facebook Group uh, pretty much every day, so.
0: Well, it's been, been great having you with us, Greg.
1: It's been great being here. So,
0: um, okay, so just, just us two, uh, Andrew, uh, how can people f- keep up with you? So after ballsing it up last
2: time, um, <laughs> you can find me, generally speaking, as Warboy Snapper on Twitter. You can find me, Warboy Snapper, on Instagram. You can find me um, most days on the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group. Um, yeah, that would be about it. Oh, and I have an occasional blog as well, andrewbartram.wordpress.com. I think something like that, and I've just been scanning some negatives today with a view to another little blog post. But that's another story.
0: Okay, and you can find me. <coughs> oh dear, coughing every time I speak today. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Twitter is Simon For. That's uh, Simon and F O R. I am on Flickr and I haven't added anything for ages, um, mm-hmm. which I I really need to do that. Um, uh, you can, oh, I'm on another podcast. Uh, the classic. See, I Mentors. didn't, I didn't, I didn't mention mine this week. No, no. But, uh, I, th- I thought I'd better mention it. Um, and uh, so uh, that's one that goes out weekly. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as Andrew mentioned earlier, you can find us both in the Facebook group for. Um, which is the same name of uh, the podcast, which is the uh, Large Format Photography Podcast. So I just want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, who provides our music, which is Two Finger Johnny. Um, And that's it. Um, uh, So I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, and it'll be great if you can come back in a couple of weeks. So goodbye. Bye.
2: Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to cut that little bit of silence. No, out. that's stained. <laughs> <laughs>